I was like, holy shit, this is going to change the world. Aaron Patzer of Mint.com joins us from San Francisco. And so I said, Aaron, all right, cool. I'll do your director of marketing. He's like, dude, hell no. You don't even know how to do marketing. And I said, well, let me do this. Let me go put together what I would do for marketing. I'll bring it back in a week. And if you like it, you can pay me and I'll execute the plan I propose to you. If not, it's fine. There's no cost to you. How does that sound? He said, great. It's the exact same marketing stuff I've done over and over with YouTube, now a million subs, with the email list at noakagan.com, with absolutemo.com, with tidycal.com. It's the same stuff over and over. And really what you're trying to do in marketing is... No, I want to start with your earliest years. Your mom worked the night shift at the hospital as a nurse and she hated it. Your father was an immigrant from Israel and didn't speak English very well. He sold copiers and you knew you didn't want to do that. Why did you not want to do that? And where did the desire to accomplish something bigger come from? Uh, my, my motivation was never to do something bigger. Um, I think following my father around, I really admired what entrepreneurship could do for your freedom, right? That you could, there's no limit on entrepreneurship. You literally can make as much as you want, right? When you get a day job like my mom, you're limited to that. Also, you have to follow their rules and their hours, which was really unappealing. Uh, with my father specifically, I remember we would literally go to these <laughs> stores and he would just knock on people's doors and be like, hello, do you want copier? I, and then literally for some of them, he'd be like, I've brought steaks. Like he'd bring steaks. I, I don't know how this even worked or how he was able to do it. But I think the fact people appreciate that he was at least trying and he was making sales. Like I'm in the eighties, he was making 600,000, like big, big, big money. I don't think he ever made seven figures in a year. But I remember, and I saw him in these vans, like carrying these copiers and sweating. And I, I really was aspiring. I love the entrepreneurship part, but the whole physical labor part, I was like, okay, maybe there's going to be another way for me to do it. And I think for like a lot of people out there, a lot of people want to be rich. A lot of people want to have more time millionaire. Uh, a lot of people want to be an entrepreneur, but they don't really know how to do it. And I think that that's more how I felt. I grew up in Silicon Valley, you know, around a lot of it, you know, two miles from Apple campus. And I just was like, I, I'd like to do it. I just don't know how to, how to do it. And so uh, I just, uh, being in Silicon Valley, I thought, okay, I'm gonna do entrepreneurship in computers. I, I don't know where it's gonna go or take me, but at least I have an idea. And so in, in high school, it sounds similar where you are, uh, I wrote a business plan and it was like, you know, and I think just get going. Doesn't matter your age. I really admire that you're, you're 18. Yeah, 18. So when I was 18, I wrote a business plan and you know, just get started and it doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter if it's successful. It doesn't even matter. If it's one of the ideas that everyone else does, like, oh, you did another t-shirt company. Great. Just get it going. The amount of experience you'll learn, the amount of like pride you'll have in yourself. And so I wrote a business plan that was, hey, there's a lot of friends in high school who have cars. What if we could do drop-offs and deliveries because we have cars, which literally is what Uber and Uber Eats and DoorDash. And, you know, I love these people that are like, oh, I had that idea originally. It's like, well, did you do anything? No. All right, shut up. And so... You know, for me, that, that was where it got started. But I think college is where I finally started thinking like, all right, I want to start doing stuff and making things and seeing if I can be an entrepreneur. You studied at Berkeley. Um, what were some of the things you started to do and make in, in college as you started becoming an entrepreneur? I really hated the, the textbooks. You have to like sell them back to the bookstore and then you buy them at full price and you have to sell them back. And this is before there was like Chegg or any of these services. So me and a guy, we created a site called comegetused.com. And the original idea was, could we list... Can we just put our books online? And then I just, we emailed our, I was in a dorm and I just emailed everyone in the dorm and said, hey, if you have a book, just list it on the site. We didn't charge anything. And e instantly people used it. And it was like, oh, this is cool. Uh, and so we never really try to make money off it, but it was a nice, it was nice to get reps in. And I think that's a good mentality of how do I experiment? How do I move quickly? 
how do I create something that people actually want? And so that was a great V1 of that. Uh, I did a bunch of these in college. I created another site called collegeup.org. So I was using Craigslist a lot, and I was like, man, it would be cool to have one that's just for people who have .edu's. It turns out no one wants that. <laughs> <laughs> and here's like, a, I'll tell you a comment. So I built it. I hired this guy named Drew. He worked at hotornot.com. And I paid him a little bit of money and I was like, hey, help me make the site. You don't have to be very technical, but I would encourage everyone to learn some code or no code abilities. Uh, but you really don't need that to start any business. And we built it like a V1 of list your product and then no one used it. And I was like, okay, let's add another feature and then another feature. And, and I always joke, you know, it's, it's like adding stickers to a Honda. It's still a Honda. And what I mean by that is as you're starting a business, really think about what's the essence of the problem I'm solving and how do I validate super quickly if this is something people are excited to use or give me money for, uh, and that was one that was definitely not. So it was a, it was a great lesson at, at doing things, but also just not keep adding until there's there's so much that none of it's working. Uh, I started flipping laptops. Again, I, I think I just liked making money, and I was always trying to figure out, a, a, you know, my father would say I was conniving or scheming uh, in Yiddish to try to make money. And you know, I saw that I liked computers, so I was buying laptops on eBay they were broken, I'd fix them and then sell them on Craigslist and vice versa. And so again, I, I think the big takeaway for anyone out there, uh, especially at a younger age, is just get started. doesn't matter what it is. If it's just like listing your own shirts on eBay or Poshmark or whatever Etsy it is, once you start doing it and you're like, oh, this is kind of interesting, people are buying this, that'll just lead you down such an amazing journey. But researching it or planning it or preparing it more will never help you as much as doing it. I agree. It's funny you mentioned laptops because when I was in uh, high school, I think in around ninth grade, I started a phone repair business. I'd yeah. go around, hand out my business card to kids who had like broken iPhones. And I'd be like, hey, I can repair it. It'll be cheaper than anybody else because I don't have a store to maintain or employees to pay. Um, made uh, a few thousand dollars doing that and eventually had to shut down the business because COVID happened. Um, but you're right. I had like, I just out of nowhere decided like, hey, this could be a cool idea. Started watching YouTube videos and just did it. Good for you. I mean, think about what's crazy if you think about it. Let's just look at literally trillion dollar businesses. Google, Facebook, Dell, Microsoft were all started by college students. I'm just thinking the ones off the top of my head. And these are all trillion dollar businesses. And the reality is that all businesses start with just one customer. And you only need one hit to win. You only need one. Like I've tried a lot of businesses and then finally one hit, which was AppSumo. And that's produced a lot of really great things for myself, for the team, for our partners, for our customers. Uh, but I, I do believe people think, oh, well, they, you need to go to Princeton, and which is not true. Or I need to have this certain ability. That's not true. You just need to get started. And after all those entrepreneurial ventures, you actually jumped into the corporate world um, working for Intel. Why did you do that? I, I didn't know. I thought, you know, when I was in college, I, I ended up getting into Haas at Berkeley as an undergrad. And I was doing all these side hustles that, I, that we were talking about. I did a few other ones, but I, I didn't know how everyone else figured out their own life. I don't know if that's the same for you, Seamus. Is that, do you know what you want to do with your life? Uh, in some way, but not totally. I'm at this point now where I thought I did, but now there, I'm just trying a bunch of different things and see what sticks Great. the most. Well, I, I, all these people are like, I want to be a consultant. I'm going to be an accountant. I'm going to be an auditor. I'm going to be in uh, uh, banking. And I was like, oh, well, one, all that sounds horrible. Like work a lot of hours for not a lot of pay relative to the, the amount of money you make, if you look at it on an hourly basis. And I knew I, I always had this dream to, to be my own boss. I never wanted to boss anyone, and I wanted no one to boss me. 
but I felt a little lost. And that's okay. I think knowing that it's okay if you're lost because that's very normal at that age. And I would say most of us don't really figure out what we like actually doing until 30. And all these people who rush very quickly to auditing and I would say safer, more boring, like hellistic jobs. One, a lot of them got fired later. Like I, like my friend worked at Ernst & Young, got fired, all these kind of jobs that seem safer. The other time, thing is like, if you can give yourself a little bit of grace and say, hey, I might take a more basic job or I might take a riskier thing, especially earlier on, like it might lead me to somewhere more interesting. And I think 80% of the people, literally, you know, there's like the 80, 20 rule. It's like, if you think of a graph of 10, 10, 80, 10, it's like 10 people just don't do shit. 80% just kind of give up and accept what they're given. And then 10% are like, let me try something else. And at Intel, which was honestly, I just didn't have any other better opportunities. It was Intel, Marlboro, Philip Morris, (laughs) or Wells Fargo, or Bank of America. And it was like building their middle management websites. They all sounded like hell. Uh, but at Intel, at least I'd be in Silicon Valley. I could live in my mom's house for free. And I knew I wouldn't have to work very hard. And so I, I knew I'd have a lot of like lunch times and evening times to be available to to start my own business. And I gave myself two years there uh, before I'd quit to just go off and do my own thing. But uh, cubicle life or working for a job you hate is is very risky and really horrible. Did you start a business during that time? Yeah, I, start, I kept starting them, man. I started a discount card website which, you know, eventually I, I like discounts still to this day, uh, called ninjacard.com. So I started that. I wanted to meet people. So I asked all the smartest friends from Berkeley and from uh, that I, and other people I knew, I said, who's one smart person, one smart person I should take to lunch or dinner. Uh, and so I met a lot of interesting people that way. Uh, that was a really easy one. And then from that, I started putting together little events. One was called, it's called entrepreneur27.org. I think it's still online. Uh, and so I just kind of kept active. Uh, and you know, that ninjacard.com started doing well, actually made $50,000 a year, the first year, second year, I think it did a little bit better. Uh, and then by having all that free time at Intel and by not having to work hard there, it gave me the space to kind of get these side hustles off the ground. So that eventually I could, I could leave to go do that. And, uh, I feel, I do appreciate that Intel, you know, hires way too many people. <laughs> you don't have to work too hard at that kind of job. For Entrepreneur 27, you actually organize events with Max Levchin, Peter Thiel, and a few other notable folks in, in the tech world now. How did you get those people to join an event from like a 22-year-old? Yeah, and I didn't know them. I didn't have some like exclusive like Silicon Valley credit card that, that got me access to them. You know, I'm an Eagle Scout. I don't know if you guys are, if you're a Boy Scout at all, but shout out to my Boy Scouts out there. You know, you don't start a bonfire with the big log. You start with twigs and you build up to it. And I think that's where most people... They get going and they're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cold email Noah Kagan now. I'm going to cold email Max Levchin. I'm going to cold email, I don't know, who's who's a popular one? I'm going to cold email Sam Altman. Hey, what's up? It's like, yeah, of course they're not going to respond to you because like you don't have anything at that point. So the, the two ways I would approach it is go to small people who are accessible, who are getting going. I still do it to this day. I call them prefluencers. So someone like yourself who's on the come up and those people will respond to you and do events with them. And as you start doing a little bit more of that with the kindling is what it's called in a fire, and you can build up to eventually asking bigger people. And on the other hand of that, you also can cheat probably to get them to come in early. How do you do that? You look at what they're prioritizing or what's important to Max Levchin. Let's just take him as an instance. I know he cycles a lot, and I know he's running a firm.com. So the two things I would do is I'd either send him a cycling magazine, a cycling gift, or some cycling like route that I think he'd be really interested in, maybe via Strava where no one's spamming him right? That'd be one way. Or I would try to find like, hey, I know he's doing a firm. Let me go find a customer that's not using a firm and say, hey, Max, I actually got this person who's a customer. 
to use a firm or they will use a firm, who should I send them to on your team? You don't think he's going to reply to that email? 100%. And then once he replies to the email, don't have to say anything, but you've helped him out. Maybe a little bit later, hey, Max, I have an event, virtual 30 minutes. Like, is that something you'd consider doing in a year? And I, I, I think you'll be surprised by the results. But generally, you, you kind of help these people out a little bit early. And you don't ask them, hey, can I, can I help you with anything? Because that, put that puts the work on him. Uh, but that is the way that I was able to get these kind of people. Like Guy Kawasaki was the first speaker. And Guy at the time was like the – he is a legend still. But he was like the top internet marketing person online. And it took me about two years of asking him and helping him. He had a website I helped him with. He had a, his kid I helped him with. And then eventually I said, hey, Guy, I've got this conference. Do you think you'd speak? He said, sure. I didn't pay him at all. Guy charges, I think, $50,000 per speech now, maybe more. I yeah, got he charges a ton. <laughs> a ton, a ton. And, you know, big shout out to him for being generous and kind to me for that. You know, I always think about this phrase called WIFT, what's in it for them. And so just, again, when you're interacting with anybody, like most of us, all of us are selfish, 100%. So if you can just pause for a second and, and think about what's in it for them and make it about them for just a little bit, you'll probably end up getting what's in it for you. And I, I would say for everyone out there, like go connect with pre-influencers right now. Like who's someone, maybe it's Seamus' show, maybe it's someone else, but look for someone who's not, has as much attention, but you really like what they're doing and just send them a compliment, send them a follow, uh, leave some comments on their stuff. And that's a way that now, you know, 15 years, 20 years later of being on the internet, I have easy access to people who are all pretty famous because early on I was like, man, I really like what this person's doing. I like how they're behaving. Like Tim Ferriss, Eric Rees, Andrew Chen, Ramit Sethi, uh, the list goes on and on. Ryan Holiday. It was just because I saw him early on. I was like, I really like what you're doing. Um, can I help you? Can I promote your book? Can I promote your course? Can I promote your business? Uh, and so years later, it's much easier to be able to text and get a response from, you know, texted James Clear this morning. Now he's he's pretty popular these days. Uh, but early on, I was putting him on my shows and stuff like that when uh, before his book and things were like were coming out. So providing small value up front to eventually be able to ask later if you need to is a key takeaway there. Huge thing. And I'll tell you like a quick tip. Max Levchin came and spoke at Berkeley. And I remember going up to him and I was like, Max, I love you. I love, this is, I was probably 18 at the time. I was like, I think PayPal's so cool what you did. I, whatever you do next, I want to be a part of it. And he's like, all right, do this research project and follow up with me. And I did not follow up with Max Levchin. Oof. I was like, <laughs> I don't know, whatever. I won't follow up. He remembers, I, I don't know if he remembers it to this day, but for years he would never message me back. And he was resentful that I didn't follow up. And I, to this day, I don't blame him. And so it was a very good lesson on the follow-up. And most people, 99% of people don't follow up. And follow-up is very easy. I almost delete every message I get from people for new messages. Like, hey, I would like to do, I delete. Just see who follows up and almost no one does. And so if you can even follow up on anything, I think you'd be surprised about the results. About half of AppSumo's sales for, to get deals on our site come from the follow-up. Just sending the second email or send a message, second DM. But most people do one and give up. Yeah, I mean, we have one, uh, we've had this happen a number of times with the podcast with guests. Like, for example, um, the founder of Shutterstock, I sent him three emails over the past couple months, and he finally said yes to doing an interview. Um, so I think that follow-up is pretty important. Um, but now that we transfer over, after you left Intel, you got hired by Facebook as employee number 30. How did that happen? What was the story around that? Yeah. By being in the arena, I would say by building businesses, it's a lot easier to show people that you do things. So when you go apply for a job, a lot of times you have like a resume that's got three bullet points and they all sound, they're all so fabricated. I increased productivity 500%. I had, a, I helped a million. You didn't probably do shit. 
But if you say, I started this and I did this, it's very easy to show people and it shows a lot of ambition and that the person is a doer, which is what people want to hire. They want to hire people who are going to take initiative to make things happen, regardless of your role, customer support, sales, ops, marketing, uh, development, design, whatever that is. And so I was going to quit Intel and the best jobs I think to get are the best things you can work on are businesses you already like. So go look at your browser history, go look at your phone history, go look at what you're reading on YouTube or whatever that is, and go work for those people. It's not always it's not always fun, by the way. A lot of people think, well, oh, you're going to go work there and just have a party like they're doing. No, you're only seeing the party, but most of it, 99% is work. And, and, and generally, it's at least enjoyable work versus doing things you hate, which I did at Intel, so I know what I, I don't ever want to do again. And so I loved Facebook. I was an, an RA in the dorm. We were you know pretty early on the site, and I was like, oh, this is so cool. You know, you can message girls, you can like post your photos, you could tag people. I mean, this is pre, you know very early days of this stuff. And I was like, man, that's cool. And I was going to quit Intel when my health insurance kicked in because you get like health benefits. So I was going to quit in December. And I remember it was it was around June or so or uh, August. And I, I just looked on their jobs page and they had a job for product manager. And I just applied cold. I didn't use an, any network. And if you're applying for any job now, you can almost guarantee through LinkedIn you could find a referral any job. Or if, especially if you're young, like you, Seamus, you could easily be like, Hey, I'm a college student. I'm a high school student. Can I interview you for 15 minutes about what it's like to work there? You'll get almost a hundred percent reply rate. And so I just did it cold, but I think one of the key reasons I got the job was that I brought in mockups of Facebook. So I took a lot of the, the site and I brought in like, Hey, you guys don't have an events page. Here's what events is going to look like. You guys don't have uh, maps and directions for like getting to your friends places. I mocked it up. So I came in showing I'm already done work on things and I already brought printouts of all the other businesses I was working on. And so the fact that I just did a little bit more, I think made it a no brainer. Like I interviewed with Dustin Moskovitz, um, Matt Kohler. And so it was Doug, Doug Hirsch, who was my boss. And so, yeah, I was able to get the job pretty convincing. And I was like, it was a dream job at that time for me. And so for anyone out there, it's like, how do you make it a no brainer that they have to hire you? And I think most times people are like, well, I'm just going to send in my resume and pray. <laughs> and instead, think about what's in it for them. Like, they want to know they can bring in someone that can do something. So why don't you just do the thing and then bring that in to them? And a lot of it, it, it is kind of similar to Million Dollar Weekend, which is how do I make sure I know customers want the business I'm starting? So I know they want these features on the site, or I think they do. Let me at least bring it to them and show them and see if that's exciting. And, and it was exciting, so they hired me. What was day number one at Facebook like? You walk into the office... What happens? I mean, it's still a crazy story for me. I mean, it was in on University Avenue, Palo Alto. And I think people don't understand the context. At this time, Google is a behemoth. MySpace is the coolest. And Facebook was some like kind of Harvard kids out in Silicon Valley doing something kind of interesting. So it wasn't as clear of a winner to the outside world. But we were seeing the internal metrics uh, pretty quickly. That was like, holy shit, the retention is pretty insane. The growth is pretty insane. Uh, the usage is insane. There's something special happening here. On the first day I walked in the office... I was really intimidated. I think I felt really self-conscious. You know, you meet these people that just feel like they're so proud of themselves. I was like, holy shit, these guys are from Caltech and Harvard and MIT. I went to Cal, Berkeley. Maybe I'm not good enough. You know, Zuckerberg, I've already read about. This guy's really intimidating. And I walk into the office and my boss, uh, Doug, walks by me and he's like, uh, I'm like, hey, I'll see you later. He's like, uh, probably not. I was like, that's weird. And then I walk by and, and Zuck was like, hey, come meet us in the room. And this is the first time meeting Zuck. We go in a room and it's him, Moskovitz, I think it was uh, Aaron, pa Aaron, um, the designer, Aaron Siddig, 
And he's like, hey, so Doug tried to sell the company to Yahoo behind my back, so I fired him today. Uh, today's your first day. Don't ever sell the fucking company. Let's get to work. And I just remember being, I'm like, okay, where do I even work? And he's like, I go out of the room because my boss is now fired. And there, he was like, do you, I think it was like, I had to use my own laptop. And it was like, just go get a corner of this desk and everything. There's wires hanging from the floor, uh, from the ceiling. And I was just like, okay, what do I even work on? And then, you know, I guess I've always liked just getting started. So it was ta- starting to talk to the people around, um, you know, Andrew Bosworth, who's now the CTO, Chris Cox, who's now the, the I don't know if he's CTO, he's vice president of product, Naomi Gleit. And I would just talk to people about what they're working on and, and try to understand what things I could just start building with the team. So it was definitely a, a very shocking day, I think, on your first day of work. And I just quit Intel, which is, you know, thousands of meetings. And, you know, you have two weeks of structured sexual harassment, uh, how to be an employed Intel onboarding to, hey, you just got fired. Your boss just got fired. Here's a desk in a corner and a laptop. Good luck. What is something that Mark Zuckerberg hated? I heard that it might be hyperlinking periods. One of the things that's interesting about Zuck uh, was we had a lot of elite people around us and he was still better than them. And the big takeaway for him that I, I, one of the major takeaways that you're highlighting was that his attention to detail was so high that it le- elevated everyone else's around him. And, I, and what you're saying is, you know, he didn't like periods hyperlinked. He's like, that just doesn't make sense. Why would you hyperlink a period versus the actual word? And the takeaway for everyone out there is how high is your standard? And that if you work with other people, they'll go to your standard. So if you're like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Like people will just be like, okay, it's fine. You're leading by example. And Zuck was working as hard as everyone else, if not harder from morning till night. And that was an example to, for everyone else to be like, okay, we got to work our asses off. And his attention to detail was really inspiring for us to be mindful of every detail. How has that attention to detail approached how you lead a team now at AppSumo and your own company? Yeah. So with, you know, even let's say my own social media, um, how are we, how is the text written? How is the photos written? How is the formatting? And, what you're looking for, let me just give you a specific example. Let's take Sean. He runs, uh, he's head of revenue at AppSumo.com. He started as our junior sales guy, and now he's running a $80 million business. Uh, and Sean, I can see as he's interacting, we're working um, on like AppSumo Plus, our VIP program. I can see the level of standard he's expecting of his other teammates. And to me, that's like, okay, cool. He's at least seen my standard, and he can now hold others to his own high standard that might even be higher than mine. And what you're looking for is just, you know, are you doing work you're, own, you're proud of? I know it might sound more complicated, but if you can set a high bar for, hey, if I'm putting out something with my name on it personally, like I want to know that I can actually stamp everything around that. And if we're doing it, like, do you know the level of quality that is? And do you have some documentation maybe about like, this is what we can do and this is what we're not going to do to make it easy for people to learn that. And I, now I see others around me uh, holding high bars even higher than my own. Like Jeremy on our YouTube team, we'll do a hook. You know, so hook is like, in this video, you're going to learn 45 things. People don't realize we do probably 30 minutes of a hook. And that hook is 12 seconds. But it's like now the standards around me is even higher. And so, again, part of, I would say, my success early on that's benefited me now is how do you just surround yourself with people with high standards? Not necessarily a perfectionist where nothing's ever done. But we're like, hey, I think that could be better. I think that could be better. I think that could be better. No, no, I don't like what you did there. Look for people around that for yourself. How did you surround yourself with people with high standards? I mean, Facebook, it was just by default. 
Now at AppSumo, I would say we hire those people. So we hired Moody Glasgow. He's our marketing advisor. He's pretty much constantly saying like everything I do in marketing is wrong there. <laughs> you know, and with AppSumo, we have a CFO advisor. Her name is Christi uh, That's Jenny Bloom. You know, here's what you could be doing better. Like for instance, at AppSumo.com, we, you know, we probably, our credit card bill, I think is around $250,000 a month. And I love going through our credit card bill. And Jenny goes, no, I don't think it's a good use of your time. Like you're running the company. Didn't you hire a VP of finance to like go over this stuff? I would, I think there's higher leverage activities for you to be doing here. And I was like, ah, this is just expecting better of me. And so you can hire these people for not a, not, it's all relative, but for not a ton of money on an hourly basis uh, to bring in higher levels of standard and higher levels of experience. Like they all have 10,000 hours in their respective categories and just getting around that level, uh, either where they're paying with it, paying for it or geographically uh, is, is a game changer for, for everyone in their professional career. And before we jump into your story founding AppSumo, I want to wrap it up with Facebook. Um, how did you get fired from Facebook? Yeah, the, the Facebook story, I mean, it cost me a billion dollars, which is, I would much rather knock on fire and had a billion dollars than I wouldn't be doing any of these shows. I'd probably be just like in a, I'd be in a Ferrari that's on a yacht that's on another yacht. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it all works out. I think that's a great message for everyone out there that, you know, getting fired was one of the best things that ever happened to me. It would have never led me to where I am now and all these amazing experiences that I've gone to get through. And I've seen a lot of the people who got rich from Facebook be, seem actually pretty unhappy, which you're like, shit, I'd rather be rich and unhappy than poor and unhappy. I'll tell you that. But they don't have as much meaning because they have all this money and they didn't really earn it, marked it. And so for myself, I, I think I kind of knew that was going to eventually happen. And I'm, I've looked at my own old diaries when I worked there and I was like, I, I, I wanted my own show. And I always knew that. And it was Mark's show. And so again, I, I think for everyone out there, go get fired, right? Go realize that your job could be taken away from you and that entrepreneurship is the only way to hedge against that. If you have your own business, whether it's making millions or whether it's making even thousands, at least you have that option. So no one can ever control your life. And I never wanted anyone to do that ever again after that experience. For me, when I started, as I told you, I was just at a desk with a laptop and it was like, all right, just go make stuff. And so I built Facebook ads, I built Facebook mobile, I built Facebook status updates, which they didn't even want. And so I did all these things and I got promoted and I got raises. And very quickly, the, the company grew from 30 to 150 in nine months. And very quickly, I was not able to elevate my skill set. And I've noticed that now with AppSumo, we have about 100 people. I can see we've had some really amazingly talented people go from the beginning with us to still to this day, which is very valuable in a business. And I, I, I believe all these people are getting what they want out of their lives. That's my goal. But some people aren't. We've had people that have gone on to success separately because they did not want to keep scaling with the business. Like Justin Mayers left to go do Kettle and Fire, and now he's a super success. Nat Eliasson as well. Uh, and other people who didn't weren't capable to go from where we were to where we are. And that, that was the case for me with, with Facebook where you know, we had meetings where it was like, I just made a decision to now we have meetings with 30 people making decisions about a font. I was like, I just could not care less at all about that. So I think that was one part of it. And I think the other part, you know, I moved fast. I wanted, I liked how Facebook was moving fast. And so we were launching new things. And at Coachella, I was high and drunk. And I told someone in press on TechCrunch, which was like, at the time, it was like the biggest news site in the world. And I told him, hey, we're launching this in the morning. It's, it's so that anyone on a, you know, at Microsoft email can join Facebook. And he pressed, he published it that night. And I, I wanted them to publicize Facebook and get press for our company because we weren't doing anything. 
but he pre- publicized it that night. And uh, I told Mark, I was like, hey, just heads up. Like, he put out this article. I told him. Uh, it was supposed to come out in the morning. And then that, I think, led them to feel like there's a lot of liability of, like, what's Noah going to do? He's a little uncontrollable. Uh, and so I think it was a great decision for them to fire me. It also led me to grow a lot more than I would have if I just stayed there. And after you were fired, you ended up sleeping on the couch until one day a conversation with a friend completely changed your trajectory. Um, what was that conversation? Yeah. So after I got fired, I lived on my friend Johnny's couch. He worked with me at Intel. So full circle, you know, coming back in that story. And I think the the interesting thing was that from that moment on, I was like, I just got to try. I'm going to try so many things until I eventually figure out how to get my own business going. So I like taught business in Korea. I consulted for different companies. I created conferences. Uh, you know, I tried to run that, that discount card website. That wasn't really working. Uh, and then by me, by being in the arena, by getting going, it builds confidence and it also builds kind of a magnet. Like I was putting myself out there on noahkagan.com and my blog, and that led to meeting a lot of people. And Dave McClure was like, hey, there's this guy who literally locked himself more or less in a room for six months and built a prototype called My Mint. I think you, he's looking to hire someone in marketing. Do you know anyone? So I referred my friend Kareem, and then Aaron said no. And so Dave said, hey, why don't you just come by and meet this guy? And so I meet this guy. He's very arrogant, so cocky. I've never, I don't know if I've ever met anyone, but I think he was actually just very confident. And I really admired him that, let's say, Seamus, you believed in some type of business, like, Without networks, without connections, without any extra advantage, you went somewhere, Silicon Valley, you got a, a cheap apartment, you locked yourself in there for six months and you built a prototype. And it was a good, a good reminder in life that it's so much better to show someone than tell someone. Like if you want me to hire, if you want to hire someone, show them. If you want to prove you can get the work, show it. Don't tell me, show me. And, you know, he showed me my mint. I met, went and met with him with Dave and I was like, holy shit, this is going to change the world. And it wasn't even out yet. And so I said, Aaron, all right, cool. I'll do your director of marketing. He's like, dude, hell no. You don't even know how to do marketing. And I was like, that is true, my friend. We weren't friends. And I said, well, let me do this. Let me go put together what I would do for marketing. I'll bring it back in a week. So seven days from today. And if you like it, you can pay me and I'll execute the plan I propose to you. If not, it's fine. There's no cost to you. How does that sound? He said, great. Because again, I, one of my favorite sales phrases in life is how do I make it a no-brainer for the other person? How do you make it a no-brainer? Like, how do I make it a no-brainer? Like, what's the downside? He gets a marketing plan. What's the upside? He gets a plan that someone's going to even go do for him. So I spent a week locked in a room, more or less. I probably spent maybe 60 to 80 hours putting together this plan. And you could see this plan online, uh, the Mint Marketing Plan. I think it's for free at AppSumo. And I presented it to him, and he was like, damn, this is good. Go do it. So he paid me, I think it was like 45 bucks an hour. I worked for three months. And after three months, he was like, wow, this is great. Um, and then he gave me a hundred thousand dollar job and 1% of the company. How did you get those first hundred thousand users to sign up to mint without even having a product site launch? I know that's crazy. It's still the same. Literally it's chapter eight in this book, which is the growth machine. It's the exact same marketing stuff I've done over and over with YouTube. Now a million subs with, uh, the email lists at noahkagan.com with absolutely.com with tidycal.com. It's the same stuff over and over. And really what you're trying to do in marketing is, you know, think about what's the problem you're solving. I always call it the three W's. Like, what's the problem? Free personal finance is huge. You know, free more money for everyone. Yeah. Who's the customer? Who is the customer? So for Mint.com, our customer is actually a tech techie that just got a job or someone who's super into personal finance. Those are our two customers we approached after doing some research. 
And then where are they online? That's it. And so with mint.com, the two ways that we were able to really get the 100,000 people super cheap, even though we, we did have funding from some top uh, top investors, number one was, again, I talked about it early, is sponsoring pre-influencers. So we sponsored Paul Stamatio, uh like all these personal finance blogs, like Jim uh, from Bloggering, Blogineering, Neville Medora, all these guys who were doing blogging about personal finance, like no one was really sponsoring them. And I was like, holy shit, let me just email all these people and give them like 500 bucks. And it was so cheap to sponsor them at the time. So when you're trying to do marketing, if you go to markets, you pay market price. If you go to things that haven't been fully tapped, like blogging at that time was not fully tapped, great opportunity. The same thing still is happening today. Like at AppSumo.com, we're still doing the same thing. We're sponsoring up-and-coming video creators that are talking about tech and personal finance. And we're sponsoring for a lot cheaper than they are because they don't have the full information yet. They will, and they're going to charge a lot. And then we'll move on to someone else, or maybe we'll scale with them. Same thing with AppSumo. We sponsored Tim Ferriss before he was big. We were paying $5,000 a month for all the ad traffic on his site. That guy charges $50,000. I don't even know the final number. It's probably higher now. $50,000 per ad slot on his podcast. Oof. We were paying 5000 for all of it uh, for crazy. maybe three to four years. And so going into the pre-fluencer was one key part of that. And then the second part, now we know the problem, the who, and the where, uh, was blogging. So there wasn't, we decided like there's not a lot of blogging out there around personal finance. So uh, the way I've always had a lot of success with marketing is find the younger, hungrier, bloodier person who's really thirsty for this stuff that understands it even better than I do and hire them and then let them do whatever the hell they want. So I hired this guy named Viet uh, from a blog called stopbuyingcrap.com. I don't know if he's still doing it. And I was like, Viet, I just need you to blog, do whatever the hell you want to do. Just go write a lot of stuff. And obviously we created structure and things like that, but it ended up creating the blog, which has gone on, went on to be super big for Mint uh, in acquisition. And I'm still doing that. Again, the same playbook still applies. Uh, with my personal stuff on my Twitter and LinkedIn and social media, I have this guy, Jay Yang. Shout out Jay Yang. 17, still in high school. Oh, yeah, we're friends. Yeah, yeah. My social media. <laughs> Jay's the yeah. man, dude. I love this guy. And again, it's when you're doing marketing and as we're talking about these things, just because blogging worked for one doesn't mean it works for all businesses. So you do have to follow somewhat of a framework, which I, I share in Million Dollar Weekend, so that you can find the thing that works. And then when you find the thing that works, how do you go crazy on that uh, until the point that you've gotten 100,000 or Mint had a million users, I think within six months after we launched? And I know we don't have a ton of time, so I'll ask a couple of questions and then we can wrap it up. Um, one of which was, you mentioned at a podcast that you have to have discipline when times are good, so you don't have to be as disciplined when times are bad. What do you mean by that? Dude, not so good. What I'm even noticing it today at AppSumo. So last year we had a banger year, you know, 80 million revenue, 7 million profit. And that's being generous, right? Like we spent a lot of money, probably we didn't have to. But it's easy now that we have money that's like, oh, let's hire that person full-time. Let's hire that person full-time. Let's hire that person full-time. Versus when times are tough, you're like, well, we should actually really evaluate the business more uh, more from an ROI perspective. And ROI perspective means here's their salary, how much do they generate? Here's what we pay for software or whatever this is. How much does it generate? How much we, Here's how much we pay for ads. How much are we making from it? So what I'd encourage people to think about, you know, how do you build your discipline when times are good? So you don't have to worry about it as much when times are bad. And so what are the systems you can put in place? So let me give you specific examples. With AppSumo.com, twice a year, we review every single contractor and software that we pay. And we stack rank it based on the value, the cost, and the ROI that we believe we're getting from it. And then we cancel or ask for discounts on all the ones we want to keep. And we do this twice a year. 
So that is a very disciplined way to have a system. And people always say this on podcasts, by the way. We have systems. I'm like, tell me the actual system. That is our system. So how do we check the ROI on software and contractors? And the same thing with, with people where, as much as it sounds kind of uh, a little transactional, it is looking at the salaries across every teammate twice a year, April and October, to see, should we pay people more, which we end up doing a lot, or are there people that uh, we can move them to contractors or use software or use a, an agency instead? I think, you know, some of the, there's a lot of different ways that we've done this over the years. With AppSumo as well, try to hire agencies or contractors before you hire full-time. So again, you know, if you zoom out here, we call it test and invest. So that, that's really how we apply a lot, no matter the time, before we go and double down. The same thing, it, it, I know you're like, wow, it kind of sounds the same as the marketing, because it is. It's like, go try things out before you go double down and spend a lot of money on it. Because uh, when times are good, it is easy to start just like throwing the cash around. And that discipline, when you're here, makes it so when times are tough, you're like, at least I already have those things in place. What are some of the things that you're testing now with AppSumo? We are testing doing a directory. So having something like, do you know Captera, G2 Crowd? I haven't heard of it, now. It's like su for super old people. It's like super boring. You know Product Hunt? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like Product Hunt, but it's only for software for solopreneurs. Okay, got it. And it's more of a directory versus like you're trying to get ranked and vote and stuff like that. It's just like if you're a solopreneur and you want to get so and you want to find software, you're just going to come to our site and, and you'll find all the tools you need for just what you want as a solopreneur. That's all we're focused on. So we're testing that within 30 days. Uh, we're testing an alternative to DocuSign. So we have our AppSumo originals led by David. And so it's low cost, tool, low cost of popular tools that are onboarding products to get people into the AppSumo ecosystem. So we're testing that out. We're doing a lot of micro tests as well. Those are a little of the bigger ones. So the email team has tests about like, should the timer be at the top of the email, the minimal email or the bottom of the email? Should we send an email at 4 p.m. or at 9 p.m. or at 9 a.m.? Uh, so there's as much of macro tests as much as there are micro tests. And again, a lot of these is, how do we do them really quickly? It's the same thing I teach in Million Dollar Weekend. How do you do these things really quick and cheap to understand if they work? So if they work, great. Then we can actually invest a lot more into it. So we were gonna, we were gonna buy a directory uh, for about a million and a half bucks. And I was like, we could, we have a developer and one other person that will cost 200,000 for the whole year. Why don't we test it with a month of development and see if it makes a difference before we go and spend all this money on something we don't know? The originals is actually an interesting one because I think it's kind of similar to what streaming services do with uh, uh, with their own movies and TV shows. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays yeah. out. Um, but for a final question, if I virtually slid you over a phone and you could give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, Oof. would you call? And if so, what would you say? Have more fun along the way. Have a lot more fun along the way. I think I was so anxious to get to the desk, to where I am now that I, I definitely think I was a lot of dark days. So have more fun along the way. You know, be more optimistic that it is going to work out. Uh, a lot of good things are already happening for you. And that's true for everyone, but you need to maybe look around and see how great it already is. Uh, and then it will work out to where you want it to be. But just, again, have fun along the way to that destination. Awesome. Well, that's a great note to end on. Thank you very much, Noah, for taking the time to join the show. Greatly appreciate it. And we'll have a link to the book Million Dollar Weekend in the episode description down below. Go buy it. Take a read. It's a fantastic read. And thank you very much, Noah. Appreciate it. Thanks, man.